0: Thank you for leading us so well this morning, team. It's it's good to worship our great God. This morning, if we were to title this sermon, it would be The Unconditional Worship of the One True God. That's exactly where we're going this morning based on this passage in Daniel chapter 3 that we'll be looking at. And this morning we're going to be looking at the first 18 verses of the chapter and we'll save the back half of the chapter for next Sunday. As you turn there, let me me tell you that there's a truth in humanity that is non-negotiable. Every single human being ever created, past, present, future, was created to worship. It is absolutely engraved into our DNA to be a worshiper. The question is, not will we worship... Not will mankind worship. The question is, who or what will man worship? Even the atheist worships himself. Worships the lack of an existence of God as he claims. The the truth is, in the Bible, God made man in his own image. In his own likeness, he created them male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 And so as image bearers, we are made to worship. But the truth is, we will read through the rest of the Bible after Genesis 1, that man again and again and again strives to make God in his image. That's what's going on in humanity. Those that bear the image of God are to worship the one that they bear the image of, but those that bear the image of God strive over and over and over again to create a God in their image. That's what we will see this morning in Daniel chapter 3 in the life of Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But before we get there, I want you to understand that the, the fallen world that we live in is striving with all its gusto. To deprive us, to distract us, and to deliver us away from the worship of the one true God. And this is not new. This is what was happening in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. There was a serpent in that garden that did not want God's image bearers to worship God. That is true in what happened in Babylon in Daniel's day. That is true of what happened when the Medes and the Persians ruled the world. That is what happened when the Greeks ruled the world. That is what happened when the the Roman Empire existed. And we went through each of those generations through that statue last Sunday. Each of those empires has strived hard to deprive us, to distract us away from worshiping the one true God. We live in an era that that is going on right now in our very midst. In fact, this morning's sermon is really about religious liberty. And, and if you look at what's going on in the culture around the world, our religious liberty is at stake at every turn. We talked many times last year about different people who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ and their religious liberty, their Christian liberty to worship Christ was being confronted and challenged and ripped away Piece by piece. Last year there's a college up in Massachusetts. Gordon College. They shared a property with the community that their university was based in. That property was ripped out from under them from the community. Because they would not embrace the secular view of of marital relations and gender issues. So much was the conflict that even the secular accrediting agencies that are tied to the federal government are questioning whether or not they would allow Gordon College to be an accredited university since they do not embrace a perverse view of male and female. We all know very well last year the Hobby Lobby ordeal. The Hobby Lobby ordeal is one based on government health care and the provision of birth control, As a part of an insurance plan and Hobby Lobby said, we will not embrace and endorse a health plan that provides such products that are not preventative, but are abortive. We value life so much that if it's an abortive agent, we will not allow that to be dispensed to our employees under our company's banners, a part of our company's health plan. This thing went all the way through the court system and praise the Lord on a five to four vote. They made it. It was protected. Towards the end of last year, we learned of some pastors in Houston, Texas, whose sermons were subpoenaed by the courts in Houston in a defense of a lawsuit because these sermons preached a biblical view of a one man, one woman union, contrary to the city ordinances that were trying to be passed. Last year, we learned around the globe of Miriam Ibrahim, who was called to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ or she would be killed. While in prison, she has a baby from her Christian husband. Into the praise of God, through the prayers of the saints throughout the world, she was delivered out of this. Let me give you a new one. January 16th, that was Friday of a week ago. On January 16th, we read this in the Washington Post, headline, Muslim call to prayer sounds at Duke University, but not from Chapel Tower. I'll give you the highlights of this story. The the Muslim call to prayer echoed across Duke University's quad on Friday, a day after the school canceled plans to have weekly services begin with an amplified call to prayer from the chapel's bell tower. Hundreds of students and faculty members met in bright sunshine to listen and support the Muslim students, some hugging, some holding signs that read, Let us worship together. And these signs bore the emblems of a cross and a star and crescent symbol. After Duke University canceled plans to amplify the Muslim call to prayer from the chapel bell tower, People gathered in support of the prayer Friday from the chapel steps. Listen to this quote. What is happening here is not an Islam issue, said Omid Safi, director of the Duke Islamic Studies Center. It's an American issue. This is a conversation about pluralism and about people who say there should be only one God and one religion in the public arena. This is an intense moment for the university, he said, but it's also an intense moment for the world. The Duke University Chapel is for many the symbol of Duke and its historic ties with the United Methodist Church. And we appreciate the fact, says one Islamic man, we appreciate the fact that the broadcast of the call to prayer from such a prominent location was was designed to be a display of religious diversity and inclusion at a time when the issue of freedom of expression is front and center in the United States and worldwide. It is unfortunate that a prestigious institution like Duke University ultimately bowed to intimidation by anti-Muslim bigots. We live in a world where the worship of the one true God is a lightning rod issue. We live in a world that is trying to strip away our freedom to take a stance for our God in our institutions that were established and founded for the worship and the honor of God. And I want you to know that that is something you need to be very aware of because it's coming to a community near you. I mean, here's a Christian college way back that is so forsaken the God that that they were founded for, that now they're wanting to play the Muslim call to prayer from their bell tower on Friday afternoons at noon. It's coming to us. And so we need to be prepared, but we do not need to be discouraged in despair. Because this is not new. This was happening in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. This was happening in Babylon in the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me read to you Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. There's nothing new going on here. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. So we live in a world that is hostile to its creator. And we are people of the creator, and so it will be hostile to us. And we must not be discouraged. We must be challenged and encouraged by the testimony of three faithful Hebrew men that we'll read about here in just a moment. Because this issue that is before us is exactly what Daniel chapter 3 is about turn with me to Daniel 3 and let's read the first 8 verses or so 8 7 verses Here's what Daniel writes King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps the prefects and the governors The counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And you need to know that Daniel had appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be some of these leaders of these provinces. Verse 3. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, Nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar has established, has built an image. Some say it's a statue. We don't know exactly what it was, but I come down on a, on a statue set on a big pedestal, okay? And what we need to understand is what happened right before this is Daniel interprets a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of a statue that's gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And right out of that dream revelation and that dream interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar goes and builds an image. And this image is massive. Massive. What does it say? Sixty cubits and its breadth, breadth is six cubits. A cubit Back in that day was from a man's elbow to the tip of his finger. Not real precise because different men had different size of of limbs. But that was a cubit. So this image was probably 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Massive, nine-story building in height. And he builds this image. And it would seem that he's intent to expand his era of gold that he learned about in the dream from Daniel previous to this account and it's not just going to be the head of an image it's going to be a 90-foot tall image so he might have designs that his Babylonian empire would exceed the span of time that God assigned to it in the dream he is a, he has a better idea for his legacy than God has revealed it's not just the head of the statue it is the entire piece now remember there's nothing new under the sun centuries before this thousands of years before this in this very location we read in genesis chapter 11 that the people came and said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and listen to this let us make a name for ourselves this is what nebuchadnezzar is doing Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. What did God say when he created man in his own image? He said, be fruitful and multiply and spread out and exercise dominion over the earth. And the people in the region of Shinar in Genesis chapter 11 said Let's build an image and a name for ourselves here, lest we be dispersed. In other words, let's not do what God's called us to do, disperse amongst the earth and reign over it and exercise dominion. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, on this same geographic location, is establishing something that reaches up into the heavens that is a symbol for his leadership and his dominion over the world. There's nothing new under the sun. This happened in Genesis 11, and now we're dealing with it in Daniel chapter 3. Fast forward 2,500 years later, and I take you to Friedrich Nietzsche, the notorious German philosopher of the 1800s, who despised the concept of God. Listen to this quote. This is what he's most well known for. If there is a God, how can I bear to not be that? God that's what Nebuchadnezzar's saying that's what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the garden there's a God you need to be like him eat of this tree there's nothing new under the sun today our culture says you deserve this you must be the God that you fall down and worship to you need this you want that go get it for you there's nothing new under the sun had nebuchadnezzar truly revered the lord after the dream was revealed to him interpreted him here's what i think would have happened i think nebuchadnezzar would have built a statue that looked just like what was in his dream and it would have graduated from a gold head to a silver midsection to a a bronze middle, to to iron legs. I think he would have built that. And I think if he really revered God in the vision that he gave through Daniel, I think he would have set up a stone at the feet of this statue that represented Jesus Christ. And I think he would have said, that stone right there, one day in the future, it's going to come and it's going to topple every human kingdom that ever existed. And it's going to become a giant mountain. And it's going to rule and reign forever and ever because God revealed this to me through Daniel, his messenger but Nebuchadnezzar no 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 he 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 forgot that dream and he builds a 90 foot tall image of gold to make a name for himself he would have followed had he revered God rightly, he would have followed what he said in in 2, verse 47. Look right there. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. But by chapter 3, he has already forgotten that. Already blown it off. It's like it never happened. Quick lesson on Nebuchadnezzar. What what we see here is that Nebuchadnezzar experienced religious conviction. He was convicted in his mind about the, the true God of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. But what he did not experience was spiritual conversion. He had the head knowledge. He had the emotional experience, the wow factor of the miracle of the dream being revealed and interpreted. But it did not leave his head and penetrate his heart and change him. We talked in Sunday school this morning, ladies, did we not? We need heart transplants. Jesus is the great physician who transplants sick hearts. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get the heart transplant. And so instead of having a new heart, he had a heart that was slightly more hardened towards God. He had an experience, a mental ascent to something impressive but it never went here and so now it's going to be harder for something to penetrate that heart next time and in fact he is actually advancing towards the very demise that god revealed to him in the dream is he not through this hardening of his heart he's so twisted in this moment in in chapter 2 he's ready to kill all those that he cannot trust and in chapter 3 we're going to see that he's ready to kill the only 3 men that he can trust he is twisted and demented. And what he done? What he has done here is he has absolutely attacked. He has assaulted the religious liberty of the people of the Babylonian region. Because he has demanded that everyone bow to this image that he has made. It's not different from the culture that we live in today in many ways. Let's read in verse 8 now. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously ex- accused the Jews... Maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These Chaldeans, just a quick note, have got to be burning with envy and jealousy. Because what did it say in chapter 1? After these guys ate vegetables and no meat? They were stronger, they were stouter, and they were able to tell uh, dreams and interpret to the degree of ten times better than any of the magicians and sorcerers and enchanters and Chaldeans in the land of Babylon. Ten times better. And at the request of Daniel, they've been promoted and promoted and promoted. And so these Chaldeans are extremely jealous of these three Hebrew men. And they don't like the kingdom that these three Hebrew men represent. And they'd like to see nothing more than that kingdom torn down and not proclaimed in the midst of the Babylonian Empire. Verse 13, we read this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Is that true? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And listen to this little jab. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Oh, it's the God that uh, revealed to you the future in a dream, Nebuchadnezzar. It's that God. That's what we're going to see in a moment. Nebuchadnezzar responds to these guys' refusal to worship this image with unhinged anger. He is furious. He's as furious as he was when the Chaldeans before said, "Uh, you need to tell us the dream and then we'll tell you the interpretation. He said, no, you're stalling for time. I'm going to kill you if you don't tell me this. Now, tell me. He's that angry. But now he's angry at the very guys that could interpret the dream for him with Daniel. But he gives them a second chance. There is some. Residue in his mind that these guys know stuff that my other guys don't man. I sure don't want to have to destroy them I'm going to give them a second chance and well and good if they'll actually do it I'll I'll forgive this lapse of judgment of theirs. Come on now bow to it when you hear the music but if not I'm gonna smoke you in the fiery furnace And brashly he says there is no god that can deliver you from this decree What's it going to be fellas? So now let's look at the heart of this morning's message. That's all set up. That was all introduction to the heart of what we've gathered here this morning to hear from the Lord. And it starts right here in verse 16. And we're going to see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have unwavering faith in God regardless of the outcome of their stance. It's unconditional worship for these three guys. Watch as we read. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Man, let those words echo in this room. But if Not be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, upon reading this, do you not want to stand up and jeer? The boldness of three little runny Hebrew men standing before the world tyrant Nebuchadnezzar, who just said, what God could deliver you out of my hand? They boldly say, we know the God that can deliver us out of of your hand, and He can do it. But if not, so be it. We still will not bow and dishonor Him by worshiping your false God. The church in 2015 around the globe is desperate for Christians like this. Desperate to take a stand for the name of Yahweh, of Jesus Christ. And when people in the church do so, it builds the church up from within to be stronger and stouter and more and more people to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And I want you to be challenged this morning to be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because you will at work, at school, in the public square, you will be challenged in your unwavering faith to worship the one true God and it's it's subtle this is bold and brash but in our culture today it is subtle they want to play a muslim call to prayer over the chapel sound system on a campus of a former christian university it's subtle it's taken a couple of 100 years to get here and even in the subtle attempts to get us to bow to the perverse ways of this culture and to the false gods of this world, in those subtle moments, we need to understand it really isn't that subtle. It is bold and brazen challenges to our worship of the one true God. You're going to be challenged to to worship your retirement portfolio. You're going to be challenged to worship your acreage and your property. You're going to be challenged to worship your wardrobe. You're going to be challenged to worship your, your career. And I can't, I can't take that stand. I've, I've went to college for this. I've got 30 years in this industry. I can't, I can't say no to this. I've got to go along with that or I'll lose everything that I've done for 30 years. That's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. And you must stand for Christ in that moment when people say to you, put that aside and bow to the ways of this world. These men have unwavering faith regardless of the outcome of their stance. You know, some in Christianity today have allowed their so-called faith to become nothing more than a psychological gimmick. For some, Christianity is is this nice little Jesus that's really sitting up there waiting for me to make a request and he's going to meet it. There's some that say if I just do the right things, say the right things and and go to the right places, then all all I'm going to get is blessing from God. It's all going to work out. I just need to do my stuff so that God will then pay me what he owes me. That is Christianity for many. And that is satanic. That is making you God and God, the butler who's there to serve you when you push the button Many people talk about God as if He were a a therapist who's there to serve my felt needs. (laughs) And that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God that made you. That is not the God in whose image you were made to worship. It's not. He's serious, He's first. You know, there's three truths that I want to unpack here. We're going to go quick through these. I want you to get these three. This is the heart of the message here this morning. There's three truths that we see in the response of these three Hebrews. Okay. First of all, we see number one, that they were fully, fully God-centered and were resolved to be faithful to him. Wasn't popular. There, There are three men standing alone. Instantly, we don't know where Daniel is in this moment. We're just getting a focus in on these three guys. But they're resolved to be faithful even if they stand alone. They say, quote, we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Period. Resolved. Just like they said we won't eat your meat in chapter 1. This brings to mind Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts chapter 5. They're brought before the high priest and the scribes and they're condemned and told you need to quit speaking of this Jesus Christ guy. And I love what Peter says in verse 29. He says we must obey God rather than men. That is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said Nebuchadnezzar. We must obey God and not you second thing we see they had confidence in the omnipotence of god in all circumstances they did not have a moment where they wondered if god was there they boldly proclaim that our god can deliver us from this fiery furnace you know it's one thing to have a general conviction of the omnipotence of god and I think any one of us could give mental assent to that at any moment. But it is an altogether different thing to live it out. And we live it out when we are in the most trying circumstances. When we're being squeezed, something's going to come out of us. And what's got to come out of us, Christian, is an unrelenting Totally sold out assurance that God is omnipotent in this situation. He is omniscient in this situation. He is even omnipresent. He is here with me right now. There is no mystery to him. And he can deliver me from this trial. Period. No doubt about it. Do you have that kind of steel in your spine? To where you will stand upright in the face of the most Audacious challenges to your faith in the living God. Get it. Get it. Get it here. Get it with us. Have us walk through these challenges with you so that we hold you upright. So that you stand in the face of the challenges that come to your faith in Jesus Christ. They believe in the end. Remember, these guys know the dream. There's going to be a rock that's going to come. And it's going to topple humanity. And it's going to become a giant mountain. And it's going to be a kingdom whose reign will never end. These three Hebrews know this. And they act and they live out that knowledge. That knowledge went from here to here. Because their life is in jeopardy. They're in an an impossible circumstance from human perspective. And they say, our God can deliver us from this. We will not do it. But then there's a third thing. And this is massive. We're at the peak of the mountain of this sermon, but now we're at the pinnacle of the peak, okay? This third point is massive. We've got to get this third point. They were unconditionally submitted to God. Unconditionally submitted to God. Even if he would not deliver them from this furnace, they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. I want you to circle in your Bibles that verse, but if not. It's verse 19, verse 18, the first three words. You've got to circle that in your Bible. That, that, I want you to see that 15 years from now and go, oh yeah, I remember a sermon on that. Don't know who it was. But I remember a sermon on that. But if not, is who I need to be. Because I don't don't worship God with conditions. God is not there. He's not my butler. I push the button and he answers. No, I am God's servant. And he will use me and spend me as he deems appropriate. And I'm going to give you four quick examples. Three quick examples uh, of this unwavering, unconditional submission to God. I want to take you, just just listen to me. You can write this note down. Job chapter 13, verse 15. You need that verse memorized, and it's short. Listen to this. Zophar is one of Job's three friends who comes and peppers Job with all kinds of bad advice and a bad perspective on what his relationship with God is. And in the midst of Job's response to Zophar, he says, Job 13, 15, about God. Ready? Ready? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Do you hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that? Though God slay me, if if he deems it appropriate that I die, I will still, I will still hope in him. Come what may be. Are you there? Does that define your relationship with God? Could could God raise you up to take a stand for His name and it cost you in this world? And are you willing to say, though He slay me, I will still hope in Him? Could God call you to the workplace to take a stand for Him and to not bow down? Hobby Lobby is an example of this. Hobby Lobby was going to go out of business, right? They were going to fold up And they were not going to give in to this stance for the human life that God's created. They were willing to shut their business down. I think Hobby Lobby said, though he shut us down, we will hope in him. You see it? You could go to work. You could go to school, teenagers. And somebody could say, subtly, disown God and bow down to this issue of the world. And you can say, though it cost me my reputation, I will hope in him. By taking this stand that he's called me to take. It may cost you playing time on your basketball team. It may cost you a spot on the basketball team. You may have to bump down to the B, C, D, or Z team. Because you took a stand for God. And the culture didn't like it. Though he slay me. I will hope in him. There's another guy that lived this out. His name's Paul. I want you to listen to Philippians chapter 1 starting in verse 12. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I've not renounced him, I've not quit preaching him, I've continued and it's landed me in prison. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he imprison me, I will hope in him. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then in verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, though he slay me, I will hope in him. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That's the language of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That needs to be your vocabulary. That needs to be what comes out of you when you are squeezed in our culture to disown God. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. To lose this job is gain to lose this reputation is gain to lose this fortune is gain i'm okay with it god's will be done and oh god's will be done let's go to the third example jesus taught us in the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 6 verse 15 to pray like this thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven right Have that echoing in your ears. And now we go to Jesus in Matthew 26, starting in 36. And it reads like this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, He prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Our God can deliver us if it be His will, but if not, Thy will be done. God's glory is the sole objective of these three Hebrews. It was the sole objective of Job in his interactions with Zophar. It's the sole objective of Paul as he writes to the Philippian church. It's the sole objective of Jesus Christ. Sinless. I don't deserve this, Father. I don't deserve to be crucified. Take this cup from me. I don't want it. But if not, your will be done. And I will embrace your cross. Learn. Learn. I've given you six people, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Job, Paul and Jesus learn from this message. This is how you and I are to live in this world. God can deliver us, but if not, we will still pursue and honor and revere him no matter what it costs us. Even our life, much less our reputation or our income or our security or our health. They wanted to glorify God in their bodies no matter the outcome, whether it be life or death. They, they did not view God as a debtor. God, I'll take a stand for you, but you've got to deliver me from this. God, I'm going to take this stand so that people will say, man, he got delivered. He, he went through that unscathed. There must be a great God. That might be a way God wants to work, but, but it might be that God wants you martyred in your reputation, in your finances, with your life. He may want you martyred so that people would say, wow, that guy was serious about God. Is there an eternity? He believes so. What's he doing now? If what he says is right, he's got it made. I wonder if I ought to consider this God. They left the method of God being glorified to God. It is God's determination for how God will get glory. And sometimes God says, I want glory through a death of a faithful follower. God said, I want glory from a Job, the most righteous man on the planet. So I'm going to let him be struck and afflicted because I want glory from him, through him. God said, I want glory from three Hebrews in Babylon. So I'm going to allow them to be threatened with their life with a fiery furnace. I want to be glorified in this. So I'm going to allow this to happen. God said, I want Paul imprisoned because I'm going to get glory by him proclaiming the gospel come hell or high water. And God said, I want glory through my innocent son dying a horrific death on a cross. That's how I will get most glory. And that is the most glorious thing that's ever happened in the name of God, by the way. Second to it is when we profess faith and belief in that act on that cross in our place. The object of glory is the one who will determine the method of glory. And when you truly are a follower of God through his son, Jesus Christ, you will say to him, you determine what will be most glorious for you and sign me up for that. I want that, God. Not my will to be done, but yours. So this is our calling today. Straight up. What happened in in these three Hebrews' lives 2,600 years ago? This is what we're called to be about today. And it's not to bow down to an obvious gold shiny idol. It's not that obvious anymore. It's more subtle. But it's the same attack. There's nothing new under the sun. And we are a people that must say, God will deliver me, but... If not, so be it. Are you ready to be that authentic in your relationship with God? This is a place, this is a local gathering of Christ's church that is dedicated to glorifying God no matter what happens here, so long as we're faithful to the scriptures. And this is a place for you to come and say, stand with me because I live in Babylon. And I don't want to bow down to the images of this culture. I want to bow down always and forevermore to the God of gods, the King of kings. Will you help me do that? And that's why we're here this morning. Because we have said together we're going to help each other do this in a foreign land that doesn't embrace our God. How did they get here? Their earlier faith in smaller things enabled them to have a big, bold faith in bigger things. And as we, together, live out our faithfulness to Christ in the little things, those are preparatory for us to stand in the face of possibly horrific things that wait for us in the future. I pray that we be delivered from such. I'm not guaranteeing that they're coming, but all indicators are we've got suffering waiting for us in one way or another we've got challenges and temptations to disown god let's get strong let's get steel in our spines laden with the gospel to be able to withstand the the attempts at our faith and loyalty to god so what's at stake in daniel chapter three it's the same thing that's at stake in our lives in 2015 Will the people who bear the image of God bow down to him and worship him? Or will the people who bear the image of God bow down to the images and idols and false gods of this world and honor and worship them? That is what is at stake every day in our lives so long as God's given us life. And let's choose this as our pledge to God. And this is what Tony read. And I want to read this again, and then Tyler, we'll, we'll close our service so you can start making your way our way. Let, let's be people that are like what Tony read out of Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and our faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. Let's pray. Father, it is our prayer, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and for the sake of our faithfulness. You are the God in the heavens, and you do all that you please. May we be a people that say, but if not, to God be the glory, no matter what our circumstances and what our outcomes may be. And I do certainly pray this, for the glory of your name and faithfulness to your Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.